0: This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and joining me in the studio is Will Cox. Hey, Will.
1: Hey, Flick. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. good. And host of the International Pop Underground on your airwaves every Wednesday night, 8 till 10, it's Anthony Crew.
2: Good evening. <laughs> it's
0: lovely to have you on, Crew.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: <laughs> we actually got a request from a Twitter user saying... Can you please talk to me on air? Yeah, (laughs) I saw
2: saw that too.
0: (laughs) I I think it's it's just Carew using a different Twitter handle. That's my theory. It's a Russian
2: Russian bot army.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So on tonight's show, we're going to be doing some new releases. We're going to kick off the hour with Baz Luhrmann's glittering whirlwind biopic, Elvis. Uh, And later, we're going to shoot hoops with Adam Sandler for Jeremiah Zager's Netflix basketball drama, Hustle. Yeah. <laughs> Guess whose pick that was.
1: <laughs> it was mine.
0: <laughs> yeah. Surprise supports fan, Wilcox.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. I love you are- it for the game.
0: You are wearing a bit of a sports uh, commentator jacket tonight. Very yes. Nice blazer. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Just an on theme. <laughs> Um, so, before we, we get stuck into those reviews, I just want to tell our listeners about a local documentary project that's been set up by the owner of the Thornbury Picture House, Gus Berger. It's titled The Lost City of Melbourne, and the documentary was created during Melbourne's many different lockdowns. Uh, it basically involved trawling through online photographs at the State Library watching and um, watching old film using the NFSA archives, plus countless hours of research and interviews with expo- experts on Melbourne history. So the film is very much a labour of love and shines a spotlight on our city's past. It captures Melbourne's heyday during the second half of the 19th century as one of the fastest growing cities in the world. So the film is scheduled for a local theatrical release later this year. But Gus has set up a funding campaign to assist, um, to help subsidise, basically, the post-production costs. So if you'd like to offer your support for The Lost City of Melbourne, or just to hear more about the project, you can head to www.possible.com forward slash project forward slash The Lost City of Melbourne, and we'll share a link on our socials. On tonight's show, we're catching up on some new releases, both online and in the cinema. The track you heard just prior was indeed the king himself with uh – That was If I Can Dream, which we're going to talk about in a little bit more depth uh, very soon. Because Elvis is the subject of Baz Luhrmann's latest film of the same name. And before we get into our review, I think uh, we might as well do a quick little recap on Luhrmann's rather fabulous career. So most listeners will already be very familiar with Luhrmann's 1992 screen debut uh, strictly Ballroom. That was followed up in 1996 with Romeo and Juliet. Um, then we had Moulin Rouge in 2001, starring Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. Kidman returns uh, in 2008 for Lumen's Australia. I think that's your favourite film, isn't it, crew?
2: <laughs> what a masterpiece! <laughs>
0: it also is in um, was still I think in Acme's um, beautiful what's he, what do you call it the little uh, surround screens. Do you I'm... remember that scene in Acme? I don't know if they've still got it up. Anyhow. I think
2: I've repressed <laughs> anything and everything to do with Baz Luhrmann's okay. 2008 in tra- Australia. Yeah.
0: I'll try not to tra- <laughs> traumatise you. So in 2013, we've got The Great Gatsby. Uh, and then in 2016, he releases a Netflix hip-hop musical series, The Get Down, which basically dramatised the rise of hip-hop in the Bronx during the 70s. It was cancelled after one season, Um, likely. Okay, you
2: mean cancelled by the network as opposed to cancelled for... They use the word cancelled in
0: Elvis as well in a very,
1: you know, I don't know.
0: Cancelled by the network. Subtle, So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was cancelled. Uh, unfortunately, after one. Well, I don't know. Unfortunately, maybe fortunately, after one season, <laughs> likely because I think it was one of the most expensive projects in Netflix and television history, which is kind of wild.
1: Really, even by Netflix standards. Uh, yeah. Even yeah. by two hundred million dollar Scorsese.
0: Yeah. Apparently more. they've
2: given, sorry, this is really this discursive. Have they detail. really given <laughs> uh, uh, yes, they $100 have. million dollars for White Noise? It's more than that. <laughs> it's like, let's adapt this postmodernist novel for $100 bucks. <laughs> Go ahead, Bornback.
0: To be fair, I love White Noise as a novel. <laughs>
2: oh, it's great. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: Noah um,
0: Bornback's white, white Noise.
1: <laughs> you wouldn't expect that to cost $150 million, though, no, would you?
0: No, I thought it'd be like an indie budget. Anyway, here we are in 2022... It's Elvis. So Lumen of course, does have something of a trademark style, kind of lots of bright, flashy colours and fast-paced editing. I think it's important to note that, obviously, Jill Bilcock, whose work we've spotlighted in the past, edited the first three films of Baz Lumen's career and arguably his strongest – Um, His wife, wife, Catherine Martin, has been the costume designer for nearly all of his films, as well as a producer. And there's kind of a common theme and narratives of of either being different or an outsider that surface in nearly all of his films, Um, as well as this kind of coupling between youth and tragedy. And a motto that appears in much of his work is, a life lived in fear is a a life half lived. Look, I'm sure we're going to tuck into that in more detail Um, in just a moment. But for now, here is a short clip from Baz Luhrmann's latest film, Elvis.
2: Come on, you got to get on in. They've already announced you on the radio. Come on, let's go. He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee.
0: Give him a warm hayride welcome to Mr. Elvis Presley. transform into a superhero. Well, you may go to college, you may go to school, you may have a pink Cadillac, but don't you make nobody's fool now, baby, come back, baby, I oh, won't really play, I won't play, how? Why all that? The wiggle. The what? Them girls won't see you wiggle. Move, man.
1: This is, um, this is Australian glamour monger Baz Luhrmann's take. <laughs> frantic take on the life of Elvis, Elvis Presley uh, in the new biopic Elvis, starring Austin Butler as the rock and roll icon alongside Tom Hanks as his unscrupulous and uh, indeterminately foreign manager. Un- unrecognisable,
0: Tom, Tom Colonel, Hanks. Colonel,
1: <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah, fat suit Tom Hanks. Oh, <laughs> and most of Australia in supporting roles, uh, <laughs> including Olivia de Jong as Elvis's wife Priscilla, Helen Thompson, Richard Roxburgh, David Wenham, Cody uh, Swift McPhee, uh, Smith McPhee, and, and 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 many others. The film follows Elvis breathlessly from his childhood as a gospel music enthusiast to the teenager setting the R and B world alight, to a global rock superstar, and finally to a Vegas showman. It's a little bit Elvis and a lot Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> uh, Flick, is do you think Baz Luhrmann is the latest Carnival Barker to abuse Elvis's talent? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a way to open. Um, yeah, look, this oh, this is a curious one. Hey, I I have to say I hated it initially at the very start and I did kind of feel like where is he going? I, I think it's worth noting this is an almost three-hour film, mm. just under by uh, half an hour, is it? I mean, it feels 20 minutes. Yeah, It's, it's amazing that
2: it's two hours and 40 minutes yeah. and yet it just feels surface level the whole time. Like well, with all that running time, yeah. you would hope that there would be some – dig a deep, a deeper digging. But instead, it just sort of pinwheels yeah. through time.
0: And like you say, like, the fact that there is so much there um, and they don't cover it is wild for no. a Yeah, it's like,
2: it's like Elvis's <laughs> entire film career in one one-minute montage where Tom yeah. Hanks in his, you know, crazy accent says, we made some movies and we had some fun. He was the highest paid movie star in <laughs> the world. I'm like, that's it. Yeah. yeah. But what, sorry, sorry, Flick,
0: go yeah. on. I was just going to say... I think we just, just to, I think we could take this almost like blow by blow of what it does wrong and, and also what it does right, some things that are really impressive about okay. this.: story. Can
2: I start with what I think it does wrong, and I assume we all agree. It seems to me like a really fundamental question that I for right from the start, I was asking myself, and I could never answer it, why is Colonel Tom Parker yes. the main character yes. of the movie, <laughs> and why is he narrating it, and why do we come back to him over and over again? And
1: why is but, he narrating yeah. it in an accent he didn't have? <laughs>
2: He had an American
0: accent. Yeah. Well, they needed to he make him sound more mangled. other. <laughs> Well, th- there's so many issues with this character. So yeah, like like we've said, it has this narrator, which I find problematic. Anyway, 101 of filmmaking is show, don't tell, and I just feel the narration in this is so clunky. Well, Baz
2: loves a framing uh, he narrator, does. Like it unnecessary. It,
0: yeah, it works. It works in Moulin Rouge. It's got a really similar sort of style, almost with some of the camera movements, and that works in Moulin Rouge because you're taking a lot of the movement. You kind of it's almost really similar to like the green fairy or you're having characters drinking and then it swirls, the camera whirl- swirls to match that sort of intoxication. Mm. I don't understand why he does it for this one. It's a really strange framing of the story.
2: It just makes it feel like it's not a movie about yeah. Elvis. And I feel, <laughs> it's like- not
1: really. no. I feel like every
2: character in here exhibits at most one single personality or trait or characteristic. Mm. There's no complexity to any of them. His mm. mom is pious and then she's drunk. His dad is weak Tom Parker is manipulative and Elvis is essentially kind of nothing. Mm. It's like they're preserving his uh, musical sainthood, his star status by not turning him into a real human being. He's just sort of like this uh, this blank slate or this cipher through which the the music is being funneled. He never feels like a real person. It's such a strange film that it's 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 kind of like a mixtape of elvis songs cut together in this modernist or postmodernist but style I mean, when well, you well, say it's mix, a mixtape
1: yeah. of elvis songs i mean there aren't many elvis songs i mean there are but but well, we never there's yeah. no patience with we well, never hear that's... more than about 30 seconds to a minute I, of them before we start was... spinning out into a weird remix with rapping over okay. it. I thought See, it was hugely... I actually think. Okay, so.
0: okay, just on that though, I actually think that's one of the strengths of Elvis, the film. So I I, I was listening to an interview because Lupin's been doing a whole lot of interviews. I was listening to an interview with him where he was explaining that he didn't actually want to use music from the time because he wanted to capture some of the, the impact that it was having. So he wanted it to sound fresh mm. and he was like, I don't want it to sound like like it's, a, it's a period piece I want it to sound contemporary to show the relevance and that kind of sense of transgression. I actually think, I, I'm not saying it always works but I'm actually pro in, in kind of bringing in these modern artists and I think that on the whole on, tonally it works quite well, and, which is surprising I wouldn't have thought I liked that.
2: Yeah, perhaps <laughs> the best sequence of the film is where Elvis is debuting in Las Vegas. It's perhaps the only um, moment in the, in the movie where it seems like it's about music. Most of the the time it seems like it's by a person who, who actively hates music and there's a song and it cuts between him in, in his youth and then when he was a little bit older and then him performing in the now and that adds uh, layers about this idea of music travelling through time and that connects to this idea of Elvis's influence on the Mm. contemporary moment. Mm. But after that, there's a couple more, uh, like, classic Elvis songs that he's performing in Las Vegas, first Suspicious Minds and then Burning Love, and Colonel Tom Parker is just literally talking over the top of (laughs) Elvis Presley performing. It's like he's, I mean, maybe you could say that's uh, symbolic of the story where he's negotiating a contract over top of the music being performed, mm. which you could say, well, that's what his character is. He didn't care about the music. He just cared about the business. But I'm gathering that people who are going to watch a film called Elvis, theoretically about a person named Elvis, want to see some songs, mm. you know, made famous by Elvis yeah. being acted out by someone who has won incredible rave reviews for channeling Elvis.
0: Yeah, Austin Butler. Let's let's touch upon that. I was just going to say – um, Yeah, okay, I think we all agree. Colonel Tom Parker, we hated him. He needed to be in that film a lot less.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) But Austin Butler, okay, really interesting casting. I... I have to say, I was swept up in his performance. I I've, thought he was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, one of the things that's so remarkable, and I think this is so important, is getting the sound right. And what they did is they, you know, he is singing, but they've mixed it with Elvis's. Um, it, on the later ones, voice. so the early yeah. ones when
1: he's a bit more raw. Yeah. That's Austin that's, Butler. Yeah.
0: And isn't he wonderful? Yeah. Like, you yeah. get a sense of real graduation of sound through mm. that that decision to kind of use his. Actual he, voice, and then later to mix it in with Elvis.
1: I think he's great. He's an excellent mm. uh, lead, and he nails the basically an impersonation of the most famous person to impersonate. But
0: he to become yeah. an Elvis
1: impersonator is essentially what he does, but he's a very good one.
0: And I- Usefulness, actually, I like the fact that Elvis, the film, does not go into, kind of, like we were saying there, El- Elvis' fat years, you know? Like, I actually think yeah. that... Save th- for that
2: one CGI sequence one... right near the end. Yeah, yeah, I actually think
0: disturbing. that's, I think that's important because I it's like, so. really, you get this sense of his usefulness and what was lost, like, 42 when he died. That's, like, yeah. so heartbreaking. Yeah. And I actually yeah. like the fact that it doesn't focus too much on that like, weird, almost like car crash porn of, like, watching someone really but hit the rocks. he
1: does spend The film in Vegas. It's a film of two halves. The first half is a frantic uh, uh, montage of. Most of his life, and then the it second so
0: Frantic Mortage is very accurate. Yeah, it is like it's a wild. it is like a three it, it, almost three hour trailer. The, f-
2: the first <laughs> half in particular is ninety minutes. Like, where is this? Where are you gonna? When is the film gonna start?
0: Yes.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. It's then, I, I wrote it down. It's seventy five minutes when he starts planning the Elvis TV special, Yeah. and that's the first time where and it that's actually the feels of the story. like a story yeah. that's being
1: told. And but then the second half it slows down a bit and it works a lot better in yeah, Vegas. Absolutely. And as you said. That's when we get music, and I think that's when we get this sort of fifty-piece band and this, this yeah. Vegas stage. And I think that's when Baz is interested in the music because yeah. it's very Baz Luhrmann. And I think, yeah. and I think maybe the film would work a lot more if
2: it just focused on Vegas.
0: No, and it, it okay. used that as the frame yeah. I mean I ba- Baz Luhrmann
2: and Las Vegas are two <laughs> kitsch peers in a pod yeah.
0: They are very well suited It would make
2: more sense to me
0: Something I genuinely really loved and I know that this is a bit problematic because like, the question around Elvis' relationship to black culture is a really complex one and mm. I don't feel the film does a deep interrogation by any means but I think those dance hall scenes and also the gospel and um, the scenes in the, the little church I actually thought they were really moving and I loved the way in which it captured the the beauty of music and just what it does to the body. I actually thought that the film communicated that so well. They,
1: that, they were great in the few seconds of it that we
2: got.
0: We needed more of it, it for really, sure. Yeah, yeah. It really yeah. coming. And, and I mean,
2: speaking of the body, uh, we talk about Austin Butler's performance. Yes, it's not just uh, him doing the the vocal mimicry of Elvis, which he nails. When he's Vegas Elvis performing and he's like thrashing his body around, <laughs> like he's really committed to the bit. And there's this endless uh, cottage industry of stories now about how deep into this Austin (laughs) Butler went, how much he nailed it, how much (laughs) Priscilla thinks he like summoned the spirit of Elvis from beyond the group. Yeah,
0: let's touch upon this. So Triple R's own Fee Wright um, messaged me when she heard that we're going to be reviewing this and she said, you do know that um, Austin Butler is still talking in Elvis Presley's voice (laughs) like months (laughs) after.
1: I've seen interviews and I just thought that's how he spoke. I
0: thought, oh, that's good. Casting,
1: he does speak like that. No, he's no.
0: just doing the voice. Yeah, and it's interesting <laughs> it's that he's quite.
2: Unless you're a Disney Channel fan from the from the or which you are, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, he's he, he's quite an unknown. He had a very small but kind of scene steely role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think his name was Tex. He was a menacing person at the stables who rode a horse. I but actually do
0: remember it when you described it. I was like, yes, yeah. That's really
2: about uh, that's really about it. And I, I, I guess it took you know, some daring to cast this, you know, essential unknown in this big role. Uh, I think a whole bunch of more famous actors went for it and he won the part and he's done a great job and, yeah. and he's going to be in the next June movie. So, you know, he's, maybe his yeah. career's moving on up.
0: Oh, D- Butler is by far the best thing about this film. And I actually think for mm. – I, I worry that Elvis fans may hate this film and that is totally fair because there's a lot of really interesting details about Elvis' life. The fact that Priscilla was 14 when she met Elvis just gets yeah. completely avoided. Yeah. <laughs> She's she was uh, mentioned
2: as teenage. She's mentioned yeah, as teenage. you assume
0: yeah. 18. <laughs> you don't assume 14.
2: <laughs> you do. I, I, Every Great Balls of Fire already covered it. We've got enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, Brian, do,
1: they, they do – they do – there's a bit of um, revisionism in the way that it's presenting mm. Elvis as this kind of, you know, right-on, left-leaning kind of guy and Parker's trying to repress that, mm. when he's not really. I mean, he well, was made a special not, yeah. deputy by Richard Nixon, like yeah. an anti-drug deputy, and he was yeah. a big Nixon fan. He's, he wasn't a, you know... I mean, obviously That's he, something
0: Lumens creative licence, of think wanting so. to make him more attractive to modern well, audiences. Well,
2: because he's trying to combat what, what we talked about, the more problematic... Mm. Um, idea about Elvis as this appropriator of, of black culture which kind of needs to be addressed somehow and by making him, you know, someone who's very pro-civil rights
0: yes, that, that,
2: that can kind of it tidies uh, it up. reframe that I've lot, much less successful at kind of uh, getting us to empathise with Elvis is when a run of high profile assassinations of like Martin Luther King yeah. and the Kennedys are presented as if they've happened to him and they're yeah. his <laughs> personal <laughs> tragedy. It's like, yeah. oh wow, Elvis is so sad that other People are but getting these shot. are all
1: But these are all just 60s biopic cliches. Oh, there's
2: that amazing bit where it's like a news reporter is talking about Altamont in the background, yeah. and, then, and then Colonel Tom, I think, throws down the paper. He's like, Sharon Tate, she's so beautiful. Or oh. And it's like,
0: it's like if you're going to <laughs> mention
2: them in passing, like why why can't I because mention them at you, all?
1: It's it's like that TV movie monkeys biopic, you know that that just <laughs> clips do the rounds every now and then. It, it's just it's just a bunch of um, biopic shorthand. There's a huge amount of shorthand.
0: Yeah, I feel this. like mm. you don't
1: need but,
2: to do that shorthand. Uh, no. Y- if you're making a movie about literally the most famous human in the world in that time, you don't need to be like, hey, stuff was happening in the 60s. Yeah, it's an Elvis Presley movie. But, he
1: defined the decade. But also, I mean, there's, as far as the shorthand goes, there's all that biopic shorthand it does spend time on. And then it just skips over quite a lot that's important to the film. Like the relationship, you think the film's about the relationship between Elvis and Tom Parker. They don't have a conversation until 30 minutes in.
0: Their relationship
1: is supposed to be solidified already, but they it's don't actually that talk damn to each other. It's that
0: horrible yeah. voiceover narration, which and I then, wish they'd get rid of.
1: And then Elvis <laughs> says, you're the greatest person I could hope to work with. Is Is he? Why? You've never spoken to him before, have you?
0: Yeah, it's it's odd. I feel as though, uh, I just feel like for this, I'm happy, I don't care if it's going to be, you know, two hours, 40 minutes, but I think there could have been much bigger focus on the really interesting pairing between the appropriation of black culture, which I don't think, like, he did grow up in in that community and I think Mm -hmm. that's really fascinating, particularly coming from a poverty perspective and then later throughout his career to actually get, uh, basically financially abused by his manager mm. that 's a fascinating mm. that 's a fascinating story. And I would have loved to watch that on screen you, or more of that on screen it 's
1: also very interesting that they 've got this relationship where parker who 's total villain in this piece is um which is probably more or less true is presented as as just riding off the back of elvis's talent mm. but elvis is never really presented as riding off the back of all the music that he's appropriated hmm.
0: yeah uh, if anything he's if seen it, as a bit of a hero because yeah, he like brings it back even though yeah
1: but if anything that would make a really interesting tension if he's just like i'm the victim here it's like well you you know you're just yeah. the latest person down the chain you've stolen all this from
2: uh, from from people before you. In, uh, yeah, you've made your, your being financially abused yet are also abundantly wealthy yourself. Mm. I, one thing that I thought was kind of a bit of a failure, which is normally a thematic idea that I really like about films uh, about famous humans who died young, is when... It's tried, but, no but ultimately <laughs> failed. That, uh, that, that 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 our favorite, you know, Tom Hanks uh, narration sort of indicts. Us, mm. right? The people who consumed oh, his music. Yeah. Where he's yes. like, he's like you. <laughs> You're the one who kept demanding that he go on stage. Normally, I'm all for that. Like Amy is basically a two-hour yeah. documentary, basically what pointing the <laughs> pointing the finger at you know human. Yeah, yeah, in in a really profound way. I really like this idea about the parasitic notion of uh, fans and the famous. Mm. But in this, it was so lazy and tossed there near at the end and. Uh,
0: also because it actually went against the logic. The logic of the film is that he's using music to communicate the ills of the world and society and is, with a sense of a broken America
1: But I don't. Think and then to
0: turn around being like, no, it's your fault that he I died don't... young. I was like, this doesn't land But well. that's, that's
1: Colonel Parker saying that. I don't think we're supposed to uh, hmm. agree with him. I, I just think found we're supposed it, to go, no, someone... it was you.
0: <laughs> he's so unlikable as a character and so uh, – this is Colonel Parker – I just think why did they waste so much screen time on him? Really. Yeah, <laughs> he could have been cut. That's
2: that's the number one takeaway from yes. this movie. Austin Butler real hot.
0: <laughs> oh, he's wonderful. Fat
2: suit Tom Hanks. Should we chat uh, about Lessa. yeah?
0: Should we chat about the wonderful outfits? I know we don't have that much time, but Oh, the costumes yeah. beautiful. I was
2: just looking up I was trying to find images of them today to
0: buy them? I don't know.
2: <laughs> But (laughs) there is that uh, great montage where he's performing in Las Vegas and they're cutting between him wearing all the different coloured jumpsuits with capes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just See, it fascinating.
1: looks great, but as as ever, the best thing about a Baz Luhrmann film is Catherine Martin, the production designer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it looks extraordinary. That's
0: know? what I mean. And I think that's really with the... If you look at Luhrmann's career, it's really these collaborations. We're so focused in film criticism and film reviews, talking about auteurs as the director. But just, I mean, Jill Bilcock, the films that made... You know, I really feel like she really made Luhrmann's career because of that wonderful editing. And the editing in this film is hectic i don't think it works that well i'm kind of all for the split screen that he uses and i think it yeah, has lots in of interesting in moderation it's a it's a weird mess i have to say i did enjoy um the performance of of Austin Butler so much that I kind of was, like, into this film more than I think I should have been. Oh,
1: I was into it while I was watching it, but the whole time I was sort of, like, shaking my damn head, you know? Yeah.
0: It could have been better, better, for sure. Um, It's messy.
1: It's messy, but, you know, it is enjoyable, I think. Yeah. To a degree. (laughs) But maybe that's because I actually really like trashy biopics a lot of the time. Yeah. And it actually reminds me, the film it most reminds me of is Walk Hard, the oh, Dewey Cox story. The bit
2: where he, someone says, to Elvis, take one of these and holds up the pill. An and the enormous, camera zooms in. An enormous pill it
1: says, hey, this will keep you up. And, um,. It feel,
0: it, I feel like if I watched this midday, it was just like a midday movie. I mm. love it. Yeah, you'd be like, wow,
1: <laughs> that that film it, it came from nowhere, didn't it? Um, and yeah. there's also a bit, the, the bit where he's performing and 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 women start absolutely losing their minds. That's straight out of Walk
2: Hard as well. Yeah, oh, I thought you <laughs> were gonna say it's straight, straight it's, out of the history books. It's it's, it's straight <laughs> after. Oh my god, I'm bla- oh, top secret. The incredible <laughs> Zucker Abraham Zucker spy movie oh, right. from the '80s <laughs> with Val Kilmer in his debut film role, playing this Elvis-like singer. Yeah, yeah. So so the fact that it reminds us the most of two parodies of movies <laughs> exactly yeah, suggests the, th- that those are
1: parodies of of, of- Biopic cliches, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, yeah. it's was, just going to a time before that stuff was all universally yeah. recognized as ridiculously over the top. Uh, yeah, yeah so
0: I think Lerman's aware it, of this, though. Yeah. He's aware of this, yeah. like it's ridiculous. He's so aware maybe, it's not very good,
2: and maybe <laughs> that's this—that's the scale we have to rank it on, right? So yeah. better than Ray, better than Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> probably not as good as Rocket Man, but it's existing in that realm of you know of kind of pretty bad yet. Uh, glibly entertaining musician biopic movies.
0: I, I genuinely kind of like go see it just so you can be part of the conversation. You will hate parts of it, like hate hate it deep in your heart, but you also love parts. It's a mixed review. I don't know how oh, I feel about some it. Some of the, it's,
1: you know, Elvis is amazing. So just getting to see um, on a big screen a yeah. kind of like a, a scaled-up representation of totally. playing If I Can Dream, which we played before, yeah, which yeah. I don't think is a protest song at all. For some reason, well, it's represented as one, but it's a gospel yeah, num- yeah. You know, number and some of the Vegas performances it's you know it's big and it's colorful and it's it's fun but it's yeah. it's um it's also nothing to do with Elvis <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well Elvis by, directed by Baz Luhrmann is currently playing at all major and independent cinemas on tonight's show we're catching up on some new releases we started the hour with Baz Luhrmann's Elvis which is in cinemas right now um Anthony, last time you were on primal screen, I made you watch Adam Sandler's Hubie Halloween. (laughs) which was my
2: revenge. (laughs) I enjoyed Hubie Halloween.
0: You are (laughs) the only man, the only person who who feels that way, Will. It is universally regarded as a car crash. So, um, yeah, we're back in the studio tonight with uh, another Sandler film. Um, I... um, I did feel like you, you selected this purely as revenge, crew, I've got to admit. Yeah, it's but... <laughs> another
2: Sandler Netflix film, but I, but I love this film and I love this game.
0: You do love this game. I love this game. I live this game. And there's a thousand other guys waiting in the wings who are obsessed with this game. Obsession's going to be talent every time. You got all the talent in the world, but are you obsessed? Is it all you ever think about? Let's face it, it's you against you out there. When you walk on that court, you have to think I am the best guy out there. I don't care if LeBron's playing. So let me ask you again. Do you love this game?
2: Yeah, coach, I'm ready, <laughs> put me in,
0: <laughs> throw, me,
2: throw me the rock, okay guys, I'm You're gonna, like
0: frozen, crew. I'm
2: just gonna ISO here, I'm waving off the screen, sorry, this is some basketball lingo, um, we're here to talk about Hustle, a new film on Netflix that just came out a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Jeremiah Zagger, who made a 2018 indie movie called We the Animals, which showed at Miff. It was really good and beautiful, this family drama. But he cut his teeth as a documentarian, which I think is uh, an interesting thing that we'll talk hmm. about soon. This film uh, stars Adam Sandler as a basketball scout for the Philadelphia 76ers. He's My tired <laughs> of travelling around the Your world.
0: <laughs> I have a team. Will oh, so could
2: not be so surprised. Um, he's tired of traveling around the world. He wants to. He wants to become a coach and move to the bench. Uh, and Ben Foster playing the evil fail son who takes over the 76ers, gives him uh, a make or break ultimatum. If you want to get off the road, find a star basketballer that no one's ever heard of. Adam Sandler finds Bo Cruz, who's played by real-life NBA player Juancho Hernan Gomez. Uh, He brings him back to the United States. Uh, and trains him up to become a basketball star, kind of maybe a second round draft pick. He's, his goal is the is the NBA draft combine in Chicago, which is a really obscure bit of basketball law. That's another story. His nemesis, <laughs> uh, Bo Cruz's nemesis, uh, Ke- what's his name? Kermit. Kermit, yeah. come on. Yeah. Is played He's
0: after by a frog.
2: is played by Anthony Edwards, the young star of the Minnesota yes. Timberwolves, who got the gig because he was teammates with Juancho Gomez in Minnesota. Anthony Edwards is so good in that film.
0: They're both, they're both very they're both good, I actually have to say. Yeah. Surprisingly uh, amazing, like good uh, on screen for athletes.
2: Yeah. It also features uh, Queen Latifah as uh, Adam Sandler's exasperated wife, Jordan Hull as his daughter. Uh, and two of the people who produced this film are LeBron James and Rich Paul, perhaps the <laughs> two most powerful people in all of basketball, uh, LeBron James being, you know, the world's most famous basketballer and Rich Paul being his agent. Uh, probably because of that it has... Obviously, the collaboration of the NBA, who lets their official licensing be used, and it is filled with basketballers. (laughs) Uh, Kenny Smith plays an agent, Uh, Mo Wagner. Uh, plays a, a draft bust. I love Mo Wagner. What's he doing? Um, playing a, a German draft bust. And Boban, last seen on screen, the seven foot three Serbian giant who appeared in the most recent John Wick movie, uh, plays a Serbian guy who's trying to convince the scout that you know he's twenty two years old when he's in his thirties. His character it's... is just called Serbian Giant.
1: Oh, I think. there you go. <laughs> and there's... there,
0: is, a, there there's... is actually a bit at the, the cast at the end where it just tells you exactly in case you missed any mm. of, of who was in there. In case you
2: missed any of the, the dozens upon. <laughs> Dozens of cameos. There's people like Matisse Thibel, uh Kyle Larry, Dirk Nowitzki, Dr. J, even like streetball legends like The Professor and Bone Collector. That yeah. bit's just called the credits, isn't it? <laughs>
0: no, no, no. It's like, it's more than that, Will. I, know, it's I, like, I assure it's you. It's like
2: a, a, a further it's highlight a f- reel. Five
1: minute long. Yeah. Uh, cameo it's a second film yeah, cameo <laughs> callback yeah.
2: so this arrives at a time in which basketball is everywhere on screens possibly motivated by the success of the uh, Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls uh, documentary The Last Dance which everyone watched in March 2020 because what yeah. the fuck else was that's going on that's
0: what got me into basketball yeah. I'm not even uh, ashamed to admit and
2: also uh, Winning Time The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty which is a recent HBO series starring John C. Riley and uh, Adrian Brody which is wildly entertaining uh, there's a new, uh, I believe it's a, a fictionalized version of the Andetta Cooper brothers called Rise, which has just debuted on Disney. Is John and C. Riley playing a, an AFL player in that? He is playing Dr. Jerry Buss, the uh, former owner of the Los Angeles Lakers. Former, okay. He's dead. Former player? Uh, he is playing a dead man. Um, anyway, <laughs> I love this film. <laughs>
0: End Probably, <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, every person I know who's really into basketball— which spoiler alert, if it hasn't come across thus far— so am I. Uh, really, really loves this film. I think it. I know it, one it,
0: basketball fan who didn't love this film. Really? Just FYI.
2: Interesting, because mm. I think it really. I it with them. I think it really <laughs> understands uh, a lot about the game. There's lots of tiny little references that aren't you know, uh, that aren't forwarded hugely in the film. There's just bits where people say in conversation things like, you've got to be like Manu coming off the bench. And, you know, the film doesn't rely on people getting those references, but I think it's it's kind of, it gives it an air of truth. And
0: Yeah, and that's actually, that was one of the th- questions I was going to have for you because I actually thought that this must have been based on a true story, but it's not, is it? No, not at all. It it's just draws a lot on what probably does happen with a lot of these like there's lots of very believable sequences to within a you know with with the whole kind of like where are they going the draft picks all of these competitions are actual things processes they are they actual through.
2: things it does swing a little bit widely around and <laughs> oh, wait, I'm like hang around, on, the, around the truth of it get... <laughs> There's just some moments where Dude, I'm like if okay come. if he kind of tanked a bit at the combine he still could be a round. Ra- anyway um uh, i would say that the film feels really successful and i think it's because of the A lot of it is to do with the direction and the filmmaking, the work of uh, Jeremiah Zegger, the director, uh, the DOP Zach Mulligan, and also the score from Dan Deacon, which we played a thing before. I think they all really succeed, and they all come together in the film's many montages. We just talked about Elvis, a movie whose first 75 minutes is one frenetic, hectic montage, and I. they don't feel like in that movie that there's a great sense of rhythm or momentum to the montages. It, it just feels like it's swinging wildly between emotions yeah, and things these happening. These ones work. These ones, well, the momentum really builds. He's literally running up a on. hill
0: for a <laughs> flick. Can I just say, there yeah. is one of the many montages in which it is a two-week training session and the montage itself feels like it goes for about two weeks. Like it, It's, it's just very not... long.
2: Yeah. But I
0: also love like, that there was the
2: rare, yeah. the rare double montage where he's training and he's in the middle of it and he kind of quits and um, the Adam Sandler's character's daughter is like, what are you going to say to him? What do you have to do? And he, he says something like, nothing. He's got to solve this himself. And then, you know, he's got to pick himself up and then Joe Bo Cruz gets back up and starts running again and then the montage kicks back in and the Dan Deacon score is (laughs) peaking even higher. I feel like the the most obvious influence for this film, it's set in Philadelphia and there's a reference to Rocky, but it's I don't think it's influenced by Rocky at all. It's really influenced by Ryan Coogler's Creed. Like, that's the real spirit that it has. It's like this kind of, you know, cool, slightly more street-level look at at sporting success.
0: There's a scene in Hustle. Look, I'm just going to say I didn't love this film, crew. I'm sorry to break your heart. But there is a scene in it that I thought was really remarkable and it actually reminded me of a scene from uh, the HBO series The Wire okay. um, where they have got this street game of b-ball and it's so fascinating, that kind of combination, like how they capture the movement of the players. And I, I really enjoyed those scenes. I actually think I wanted more basketball in this film. I didn't love Soundless Performance I usually do love him in more serious roles not a big fan of his comedy but his his serious roles uncut gems is like a, in a completely different league I didn't love this, though. I, I, I kind of actually tuned out at one bit to, to watch Space Jam, A New Legacy, I, and then <laughs> was able for how bad that was. And, you know, starring LeBron, I was like, whoa, this is a terrible performance. I think he won a Razzie for it. Was able then to return to to um, Hustle. Well what, what were your thoughts? I
1: misread the email and I watched Space Jam, A New Legacy for this. <laughs> I thought that that's what yeah. we were talking about. No, <laughs> I, I was
0: actually going to make the same gag, but for Hustlers. I watched Hustlers instead of Hustle. There's also a movie called... Hustlers. about
1: ten films called... Hustle. Yeah, there's a movie called The Hustle with yeah. Rebel
2: Wilson oh. and uh,
1: Hathaway Jake. for a film made for Netflix. It's unsearchable. I don't know how they decided this, but look, I actually, I actually quite enjoyed it. I really liked the basketball scenes. I don't know, I don't know jack about this game. I don't know. You anything. Do now
0: though. Yeah, now
1: obviously I, I'm just like, well, you're gonna get to the combine, but I don't know anything about this whole system. But I think what really, uh, I, I love Sandler in it.
0: I oh, think he's really? great in it. See, he, he's great he, in everything. It's clear I that always it's like it. a passion him. for him. Like, he's a massive basketball fan. Mm. He, the, the passion from him is real. I think I just was like, didn't believe his relationship with Queen Latifah. I didn't really. I just didn't vibe with him. He's an interesting character. I just didn't love it.
2: I thought that there was a sense, sense of something approaching realism about the family dynamic where they're all kind of teasing each other. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. And and there was a bit where she's exasperated by his cockeyed scheme to, <laughs> you know, invest all his uh, time and money in this uh, violent 22-year-old Spaniard. But I, yeah. she doesn't, like, pack up and leave. I'm going to mum's. She just sort of rolls her eyes and gets on with life. Yeah. I thought the emotional stories rang really true, but Mm -hmm. they were a little bit glossed over. Like his tragic backstory about how he got in the car crash and that ruined his career, which didn't sound like it was really going anywhere when he was at university, but he saved, you know, Kenny Smith, the agent who now has his back. Like – I, I, it wasn't that it came across as false. It's just that they skated through it. I guess it's a, it's a two-hour movie in which like lots yeah. of stuff
1: happens. I think I, you I, love I, basketball, yeah. and that's why you love this film.
0: I quite enjoyed this
1: film. But it's, trying to, it's Flick, you mentioned that you liked it because it felt like a true story. But yeah. what it feels like to me is every sports film. Like the the plot is is every it's sports film is an underdog that's like picked out. Yeah. The coach puts him in, believes in him. So there's not really much tension throughout because I just know exactly more or less how every scene's going to go, how every trial is going to go, yeah.
2: what, what's going to happen at the end.
0: <laughs> so it's not. Yeah, yeah but he Something
2: did. That's... He did. He did tank at the Combine, which is what they're building you know up to. He, you know yeah, but that was at the halfway
0: to. mark, Cruz, so we know <laughs> so it's it going right, to get better. It was right near the
2: end. And then he's walking okay, to okay. the airport. To... Spoiler
0: alert. And then a... <laughs>
2: you think he's going back to Spain. There's a chase scene through the airport, which is every
0: <laughs> 90s romantic comedy. too much. Sorry. But, <laughs> but I mean, but you but
1: know, as I soon actually, as it opens, you know what's going to
0: happen. I actually but. genuinely, I think the bits I liked about this film, uh, I really loved Bo Cruz as a character. I actually think that had a bit of an eight mile going on. Okay. Um, oh and, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I actually didn't hate that. I I was surprised by how good on screen he was. Um, really believable okay. and good performance. I didn't think he had that much to work with, but he did it well.
1: I I know. really like the 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 non actors in this and the yeah, basketballers yeah. playing actors. I guess it's it's easier to train a, a basketballer to act than it is to train an actor to play basketball. <laughs> like like that scene in Armageddon yeah. you know it's, uh, to oh,
0: actually, it's also, easier to teach
1: an oil driller to become an astronaut well, yeah, than to
0: teach an also, astronaut to honey, drill Honey there's a really bad basketball scene in Honey if you ever want to check it out just yeah and I, I guess there's
2: a really famous example often you know that people regard as one of the best movies about basketball Spike Lee's He Got Game yeah, where he got a young Ray Allen to play the main character one of the two main characters alongside Denzel Washington in that mm. film just because this was a young guy who was about to become a basketball star so it was just easier to get him through the acting scenes as opposed totally. to those movies even great ones like white men can't jump where it's Abundantly clear that Wesley Snipes can't play basketball at all, and they have to do some lots of creative editing.
0: <laughs>
1: Second film I ever it. saw in the cinema for some reason. I was six. Oh! No that, idea why. I'm
0: pretty sure that one shouldn't have been loud <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I think um, there wasn't much
2: else on, and my mum wasn't paying much attention. It's about basketball.
0: You know, it'll have <laughs> some
2: wholesome messages. But just to go back to your point about knowing what's going to come, yeah. I think that that's what I mean. Sports movie is just another recognisable genre, like yeah. a romantic comedy. Yeah. They're going to end up yeah. together. A revenge movie, you know, they're going to achieve revenge and then feel a bit empty about it at the end. Yep. It's, going to, it's giving people what they want, which is, you know, someone through hard work and sacrifice <laughs> mm. you're being rewarded. But also it's kind of an anticlimactic uh, thing. You don't know how he got into the NBA. Did he get drafted? Uh, did he just get signed as a free agent? Is he does he even play? You just know that he ended up on a Boston Celtics roster.
1: Yes, I but, that was... but I mean, as someone who doesn't know anything about basketball, I don't know what the hell that means. I mean, <laughs> he,
2: he succeeded. He succeeded.
0: He succeeded a broad in, broad sense. in
1: his
2: dream of making the league. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I, I genuinely love sports film, actually. So i I think I was just expecting to. To settle into this more than I did, but hey, I feel like it's definitely worth checking out. It's easy enough to stream it, um, like we'll point it out. Might take a little while to find it um, <laughs> as anything on Netflix. Yeah, they drop that's it, true. they
1: spend a hundred million dollars <laughs> making it, and then they drop it on Netflix, and then it's just, it's just a drop in the ocean. One other and film, they never talk about it again.
2: One other filmmaking. Uh... Decision, I suppose, that I thought was at least interesting Is that uh, Jeremiah Zaga apparently took influence From, like, classic boxing movies Where he shoots the one-on-one Between Wancho Gomez and Anthony Edwards Between Bo Cruz and, and Kermit, Kermit Wiltz as like a boxing match where it's like yeah. the PO, the POV shots where the guy's face is like right in your face and here's Anthony Edwards with a sly smile on his face you know <laughs> talking was so about outcast. your mama yeah. yeah
0: he was really charismatic on screen i, I, did, I, haven't, I did like those that's
2: games. not something that i have seen before and i guess it, it created a sense of you know putting the audience well, like within that
0: space yeah mm. I, and I, it was yeah. also
2: it was also really interesting just from a i guess a basketball perspective that he found viral fame because of defense which is that, that that's yeah. a pretty interesting idea that, yeah. that no one could score on him. And that's what that's what made him special, which is it seems like it's almost the last
0: yeah, decision that true. you would think
2: someone would make about what is what, what is interesting on screen and what could make a star player. That's you know? so
0: interesting because I think, yeah, the idea of him shooting like three points is maybe not that cinematic, actually, yeah. when you think about it. Um, but the defense really does is is exciting it's and actually grittier. almost yeah and it's it and it has a real and that's what I mean before about violent. that scene of the street basketball yeah. yeah that was great that was captured so well and I think it is like you say with the soundtrack mm. still didn't love it Anthony I'm sorry but <laughs> if you do want to check out Hustle um, it is currently available to stream on Netflix. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Anthony Carew, Wilcox, and myself Flick Ford. So on tonight's show we. We reviewed Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, which is currently playing at all major and independent cinemas. And we finished up the hour with Jeremiah Zegers' Hustle, which is currently streaming on Netflix. Karu, um, before we sign off, we were mentioning some basketball films. My, I was thinking you mentioned before the Netflix series oh, Last Dance. Time. Oh, oh Last I, I recommend that for sure. Um, He got game, great film as well. What else should listeners, people fans like yourself, check out?
2: (laughs) I think one of the reasons that I I, I love this film
0: is because
2: there's (laughs) such a dark history of basketball on screen and you grew up watching uh, lots of terrible films but pretending they weren't that terrible. Like the original Space Jam, which is an absolute travesty of filmmaking. It's Wait till at- you
0: see Space Jam new I've magazine. seen that.
2: It's reprehensible. <laughs> uh, above it's the Rim, impressive. Air up there. Like these are films that, you know, people kind of like watched and they were they were like around in the 90s. What but- about Air Bud? What about Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island? (laughs) It hasn't been a a great history, like compared to. I mean, I compared it to Creed earlier on. Compared to boxing films, there there probably hasn't been a definitive thing. I mean, the obvious thing to watch with this is like Winning Time: The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, which I mentioned before, um, because it's wildly enjoyable. It it's been quite controversial uh, in the basketball world because uh, it's taken incredible liberties with the truth and what actually happened and what people were like and these people are still alive and are really mad about being portrayed and there's a talk about Jerry West this NBA legend uh, threatening lawsuits because he's represented as a sort of uh, you know rageaholic on the show <laughs> well,
0: uh, I feel like, I feel like we now need to do a sports film uh, spotlight but I will
2: <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's my corner I mean well, if you I'll if you want it to into get into B-board like a, I think it is <laughs> Do you want to get into a a Taiwanese, a Taiwanese minimalist (laughs) special with Hu Xiaoshan and
0: Simon
1: Liang? Should we do a a rock biopic
0: uh, special? Because I assure you, the quality will be
1: significantly lower.
2: Uh, Flick Flick did suggest (laughs) that when we were talking about Elvis. He's like, "Do you want to talk about more music biopics?" And I said, "What the worst genre in cinema?" Oh, there's a few.
0: Well, we, well, we've we already got talked about of... walk Cards.
2: Walk Cards is incredible. <laughs> Control. Them.
0: We've, we've, I okay, we've given, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> we've given lots of recommendations tonight. Some of them you may not want to follow up with. Um, a big thank you to both Wilcox and Anthony Carew and also to Luke Lay who edits the podcast and he's been handling our socials. As always, you can listen back uh, to tonight's episode at rrr.org.au or via your favourite podcast app,